Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 83, Ashley Feinstein Gersley, The Fiscal Femme. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. What do you think when you hear the words rich, wealthy? Ever noticed what comes to mind? What are your associations about money? Could you use a little bit of a mindset shift or a lot? You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. My guest today is the fiscal femme and creator of the 30-day money cleanse, Ashley Feinstein Gersley. As a trusted money expert, Ashley has been featured by Forbes, NBC, Glamour, and Business Insider, among others. It is the end of the calendar year, ladies. Maybe personal finance is an area you want to focus on in 2019. So what is the 30-day money cleanse? What can we achieve and how do we achieve it? What are some practical things that you can do, whether you're married or single, to de-stress about money and take control of your finances. By the way, if that sounds scary... Ashley is here to help. Ashley's approach to money and personal finance is all about fun and not being restricting. She tells us all about that. How did she get into personal finance in the first place, by the way? Uh, guess what? It involved mindlessly blowing a hefty bonus. I empathize with Ashley because I also blew my hefty investment banking bonus, except a little bit differently. If you're curious, stay tuned because I confess how. Ashley is all about the fun in money management and not the fear or dread. So guess what she calls the dreaded budget? Stay tuned for that and more with the lovely Ashley Feinstein Gersley. Ashley Feinstein Gersley, the Skull Femme, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Thank you. I'm it's, happy to be on. I'm so happy to have you here. It is no secret to my listeners that I am very much into personal finance, your field of work. Um, it, money is one of my favorite topics. And I just came back from Maryland this week where I gave one of the scariest talks of my life to a group of Jewish women. And guess what the topic was? Something about money. Oh, yeah. It was marriage <laughs> and money. <laughs> Amazing. And a few um, confessions along the way. So I'm very proud that I did it because you, you know, uh, as well as I do that there aren't enough money, uh, enough women talking about money. And that needs to change for reasons that I'm sure we'll get into during this conversation. And the, so this episode is very timely, not just because of that, but we're airing right as we're ending 2018. And we're starting a new year. And yeah, we have our Jewish New Year. But the fact is that starting a new calendar year, a new fiscal year does put us in a certain mood. And I think it's a very good idea if listeners start thinking about how they could improve their relationship with money and taking action in the new year. And so you are the perfect person to put us into that mindset. So welcome. I love it. Yes, I, I get that feeling too with New Year. Just such a fun, fresh start to make some big goals. Exactly. And your new book is coming out in the new year, The 30 Day Money Cleanse, so which is it has a pretty ambitious promise. So tell us what is the promise of this book? What are we going to accomplish? Yes, it's a great question. So by the end of the book, you have a plan that fits with your lifestyle, doesn't feel restricting. And the idea is that you align your spending with your values so that 
your life feels bigger and more meaningful, but you're actually saving more money. Were, were you peeking into my lecture the other day in Maryland? <laughs> No, oh, I love it. Yes, fit fit with your talk. Talk to me about that concept of the values because that's what I was talking about before to the ladies, and I think it's so important. Like, no, knowing what your values are, and then making those financial statements your value statements. I mean, that's something that I say. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Yeah. So I think one of it's funny when we look at what we spend. It's often mindless. We just do it mm-hmm. because it's a habit. We do it because other people do it, and we Instagram just Instagram tells us to do it. <laughs> Instagram tells us, but the point of having money is to have an experience what we want and to invest in things that are important to us and into businesses and people that align with our values. And so every time we invest or spend a dollar, it can be a vote with our values and it can it can bring us more joy if it's aligned. So mm-hmm. a lot of times the things we spend money on don't actually make us happy. And if we just reallocated it, we would get more joy while also saving money. So I think we often think of personal finance or being making smart, quote unquote, financial decisions as being restricting or not getting to do the things you love. But I would argue that if we're very conscious and intentional about it, we can have both. I love it. Yes. So so if we want to arrive to that stage of being very conscious and really being more mindful about how we're allocating our resource money. What are some of the specific things that that you teach us to do to get us to to actually achieve that? Like what is what are some practical tips that are per, that you give us on the book and also you give your clients and your and your courses to and in your coaching to do? Yes, great question. So, a really great place to start is to find out where it's currently going because most of us have no idea. Yeah, we and dig our heads in the sand or we tell somebody else to take care of it, right? Exactly, <laughs> right. We don't want to know and then technology makes it very easy not to know too. So we have a lot of things that are in cahoots with us to help us not know where our money's going. What do you mean technology? Because I thought technology makes it clearer. Technology often makes it less clear for us. So Mm -hmm, if you think about a swiping a credit card, for example, yes, that feels so different than spending in in cash, right? It removes that contact. Yes, that pain of Mm -hmm. separating. And also credit cards, I think are tricky, because you never really know where you stand. It's not like your debit card where you look at your bank account, and you know what's in it at any given moment, you really don't feel the pain of spending or the reward if you underspend Mm -hmm. until that credit card bill is due. So it's you're you really don't know where you stand. So with that, and then another thing is we have a lot of technology where we, for example, Uber or Lyft, we take a ride, we hop in and out, and there's actually no payment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you don't even have to be conscious that any money left your bank account. And even with online shopping now, our addresses, our credit cards are all saved, and we can often hit just one button and we get that item that we wanted maybe for a minute, a few seconds. Right, right. So we're very distanced from the money. Okay, so 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 yes. we have to learn where we are. And how, so how does a person do that? Yeah, so great, a great place to start is to either write down or type out what you're actually spending. And I call it keeping a money journal. It's very simple. The point is not to do it perfectly or to get the exact record of where your money's going. The point is to reconnect with your spending so that when you're spending, you have to think about that you actually did because Mm -hmm. of all these things that have us not have to do that. (laughs) So I think that's a really great place to start. And then I also think when when we keep a money journal, we become aware of spending that we might have not known we were doing or we might not even make an expense because we might not buy something because we know we have to write it down and it's not worth it to us. Mm. But 
another really helpful exercise is to calculate each expense that we make on an annual basis. Aha. Uh-huh. So those those $5 lattes are really not $5. <laughs> exactly. And often what happens, and this happened to me, is I thought, oh, I can't afford to go on a vacation, but that's what I really want. And when I looked at what my latte was spending me, costing me on an annual basis, I could reallocate that to take a trip and that would make me a lot happier. So it's it, when we take an annual look and we look at where our money go- is going annually, we can assess honestly if it's going to the places that we want, and if it's not, we can reallocate it. Right. And I know a lot of my money cleansers and clients, they'll see how much they spend on coffee and lattes, and they consciously decide to keep doing that because it brings them that much joy. Right. So there's not like a, a shame or a guilt in this. It's really for you to just decide what's best and makes you happiest. So there's no right or wrong answer. Right. And I guess also it's um, depends on what's going on in your life. So let's say you really want to go on that vacation. Or for example, my family and I were started to plan a trip to Israel for my son's bar mitzvah a couple of years back. And that put us in the position to do what you're saying to really really look at where we were spending our money and how we could achieve what the you know to have the money in the bank to do that big trip without you know getting into debt or really just paying for it in cash and so it really flipped it, it didn't feel restrictive all those years because every time we sat down and we looked at how far you know how much we'd gotten along on the goal it's really very rewarding so right so mm-hmm. that's the i guess that's the there's joy in that as well so right and you were very present to what you were getting from that you really wanted to take that trip and you it's fun with a goal like that because you get to enjoy the trip so much more before it even happens uh, because yes. every time you don't spend money or every time you check in on the goal, you're, you get to dream up what that trip will be like and how meaningful it would be. Yeah, so I love all these tips. So being present, a money journal, calculate your expenses on an, an, you know, on an annual basis. Those are all great. You have another one, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, you call it the money party. I learned from Barry Tesler to call it the money date. It's basically the same thing. Tell listeners what that entails, because I just think this is a really important one. Yes. So what I found is we, many of us are working, we have obligations, families, and the things that we want to do in our financial lives get put on the back burner. Mm -hmm. And if we never make time for them, they're never going to happen because something always comes up and life happens. So I'm a big fan of actually creating the time by putting it in the calendar. Every two weeks is great for an hour and a half. And that is a time to come and show your money some love and (laughs) tackle those financial to do's and going, I think it's important to go in with an agenda. So going in knowing, okay, I'm going to look at my expenses, I'm going to check in on how savings go saving is going towards my goals. I'm going to finally roll over the 401k that I've been meaning to do. Whatever those things hanging over your head, mm-hmm. put them on the agenda and then make it fun. So I call them parties because I'm trying to turn this whole money is not fun. It's daunting. It's boring. It's restricting on its head. Right. And we can do that by having our favorite beverage, making it part of date night, putting on music, lighting candles, getting cozy. I also believe very strongly in rewarding ourselves. So if you keep your money party, you get to watch your favorite TV show guilt free or take a bubble (laughs) bath or whatever that reward is that would actually get you motivated to have your money party. Yeah. And I find that when you're married, it also makes it it's just, I mean, it's important whether you're single, whether you're married, but I think an added benefit to it, and you'll tell me if you find this to be true, I know you're married, um, it, I, 
I was telling the ladies recently in Maryland that it brings you so much closer as a couple because it's not just about the numbers and the accounting, but it's really having those values conversation and checking whether those numbers are a lot are in alignment with those values. Are we and you know, are we really living according to those values? If we're if we've deviated, then where do we need to adjust, etc. So I think it brings the, the relationship, it brings a lot of closeness. Yes, and it removes a lot of the stress, which makes us less close um, mm-hmm. by compartmentalizing money conversations. So it's not always like, hey, why did you do that? Why'd you do this? When are you going to do that? It's right. all happens in the money party. And I do think people often ask, in the in the partner conversation, where do I start? And I and it, you alluded to this. It's start with the fun part. Start with what you want because money is getting you the experiences or the things or the life that you you want to create with your partner. So it's fun to start with what you're creating before you figure out the numbers to get you there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Ashley, you have a background in financial services, uh, yet you came to the shocking realization that your money, your finances were stressing you out, (laughs) which is exactly my story, (laughs) as I was telling you offline. And at some point, we both scratched our heads thinking, well, that's really ironic, right? How could this be? So take us back to pre-fiscal femme Ashley and to, I guess, a moment when you realize, listen, it's time to take this bull by the horns. Yeah, great question. (laughs) Pre-fiscal femme Ashley. So what happened? You mentioned my finance background. So finance major, investment banker. I did the two-year program and then switched into a corporate finance job where I took a pay cut but had so much more free time. Mm, and, and that's not something that we had as investment bankers, <laughs> did we? Exactly. <laughs> so in my investment banking job, I was making more money and I had very little time to spend it. So when I did go out, it really didn't matter because it was like once a month and I could do whatever I wanted and that was that. And so when I was in my corporate finance job, I actually quit right after I received my bonus and and I looked at my bank account one day and I was really taking advantage of this new life. I was in French class and going out with friends every night and doing different workout classes and just really taking advantage of my evenings. And I looked at my bank account and saw that almost all of my bonus was depleted. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I realized that my current lifestyle was completely unsustainable And that if I wanted to stay in this new awesome job with this lifestyle that I really loved, I was going to have to figure out the money part of it. Mm. So where did you start? I started Did you ask for help? I really just started reading Mm -hmm. and in a very type A way, read a bunch of books, articles, and things that made sense to me or seemed manageable, I would just test out. And at the time, I had a friend of a friend was in a coaching program and she needed some hours. And so I worked with her. And we worked on, I had a fear at the time of, (laughs) which is so funny now that I'm like doing interviews and write, have a book, but I was scared of having a voice. Um, And one of my fears was writing articles online. And Mm -hmm. so we conquered that fear together. And I started sharing about my money journey on my blog at the time, which was the Fiscal Femme. Uh So that's how it all started. That's how it all started. Did you have to start um, living on a budget because now you were in this corporate finance job that I'm assuming was the sal- there was a salary cut and yeah definitely I, I had um and I, 
now I don't even use the word budget. I use, I call them happiness allocations. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Oh, I Isn't might that adopt better? it. I, that's so yeah. much better. We call it the money plan, but I think happiness allocation has an even better ring to it. I'm going to take that on. I'm writing it down. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. And I think it's more fitting because it's how you allocate your money in the way that's going to make you the happiest in the short and long term. A hundred percent. And so I did, I created one. Yes. And at first it looked completely, it was completely wrong because I didn't know where my money was going. Um, but I started keeping a money journal. I looked at my expenses annually. I started, I created a value statement with the coach, like what was important to me, what I, and looked at my spending it from that lens. And then when, as the fiscal femme grew and I wanted to, to do this full time, I got very motivated. You mentioned your trip, how thinking about that made it easy to save, thinking about financial freedom and being able to leave my current job to start a business was really motivating to me. And mm. so I was able to let go of a lot of expenses that I otherwise wouldn't have been motivated to let go of. That's awesome. Well, should I tell you tell you what I did with my bonus with that first bonus? By the way, but what bank did you work for? Should we say I was at Jeffries. Oh, okay. So were you in the city? Were in New York City? Yes. I'm older than you, but I was at Chase I mean, I was pre JP Morgan, then it was JP Morgan, but it is JP Morgan. But anyhow, you want to know what I did with that bonus? It's um, yeah. a little bit different than you. But yeah, I lost a lot of money. I, I didn't spend it. I actually had I knew that I had I better take it away from not make it accessible. So I asked somebody for their financial planner. I had no idea. I just showed up at the Fidelity office. I went to this guy because my friend's husband told me I gave him the $30,000. And many years later, I just kept wondering how come my money hasn't grown. And it's been 10 years and then it's 12 years. And slowly but surely, I learned that all my money was getting eaten up in fees. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, it's very, very sad. And so, yes. Well, so you made the great decision to keep it out of reach from yourself. But yeah. then, yes, the knowledge, like that is why that gets me very riled up. Um, <laughs> and it's know. why it's so important that we understand what's happening with our money. Yes. Because you made so many good choices. I did, but no. you know, it wasn't nearly good enough. Like we really have to not just hand it over blindly. We really have to know. And the reason is it can, like you said, it can be fun once you get the hang of it. But I yeah. had to get over all that shame. Like, hello, I'm an investment banker and I have, I have an MBA. How come I didn't realize that there were all these fees attached to my investments that I didn't really know to look at? And so my money never really grew. <laughs> right. And also the, you know, there's so many, I think the shame that all of us experience around money, there's, I think it's so important to understand how much we have working against us because yeah. we don't learn about it. We don't talk about it. Not to mention you had a hired professional who never shared anything about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yet we're dealing with it all day, every day, and it's really emotionally charged. And so I think what's amazing and what most people who have success in their money journeys realize is you have to forgive yourself for those mistakes. And after you can forgive yourself, then you can move on and start taking positive action. But until yeah. we stop that punishing or ourselves for those mistakes it's hard to move forward yeah yeah definitely and that could take a while <laughs> yeah. but thank Ash you for sharing that that's an inspiring story oh my goodness yes and Ashley so much of our mindset and our speech about money and our behavior around money comes from our upbringing and we bring that with us you know to our marriages we bring it I just under the chuppah I just heard somebody who said that um, six people stand under the chuppah the couple and each of the couple's parents. 
<laughs> like literally, that's, you know, you're bringing all their baggage. But so I have a few questions for you related to this. Um, what things did you bring with you that you hold on to still? And what things maybe did you just have to reinvent, you know, your family narrative for yourself because you realized these are not uh, maybe productive attitudes or, you know. Yeah, such a great question. One, so one thing that my parents said that I loved was from a young age, we had an allowance. Um, you know, some we, some times of our life, it was more consistent than others. We'd mm-hmm. often forget. But what they had us do was divide the amount into threes. We did part of it was for giving, part of it was for saving, and part of it was for spending. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like a beautiful way to to educate children on how to be charitable and to give and just a different way to think about breaking up your money. So anytime I think we can have conversations with children, and I think often parents shy away from doing it because we think we don't know enough or we've made a ton of mistakes, but I think there's a lot of power in sharing those mistakes with kids and um, even older kids too, because it's very just real. And I think that's much appreciated. And then one thing I did, I used to love, I was big into horses and took riding lessons. And I had a doll that I don't even remember the brand. It was like American Girl doll but it was a different mm-hmm. kind. And I, there was a magazine and in the magazine, there was a horseback riding outfit for my doll. And I was like nine or 10 years old. And I had took 28 $1 bills from my allowance and put them in an envelope and circled the outfit and sent it to this company. <laughs> to oh, no. I know. And Did you I don't get know. anything? I got nothing. And I didn't tell my mom oh. I don't, or my dad. I didn't alert anyone, an adult, that I was doing this. And nothing ever showed up. And I don't know if I maybe my handwriting was not legible so they couldn't send it or someone stole the, the money because it was a very thick envelope. <laughs> 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 but some, But it's crazy that this thing that I did when I was 10, there was like a moment, I think when it never came, I'm like, oh, money's this money stuff is stinks. Like, I don't want to deal with this. And I kind of opted out of the whole money situation. And I think my parents were they they know money can be a stressor, they wanted me to just like be joyful and enjoy life. And so I really didn't have to face it too much until I was out on my own. Um, And that's definitely something I brought with me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, what a story. I know. (laughs) But it seems like your parents, they were doing certain things, right? I mean, to teach, you know, teach, children to allocate I mean those are those are very very good things Um, I actually do the same with my kids you're a a mother right Ashley yes I am yeah how old is your child you have one yes I have one he um, his name is Eli and he is 17 months now oh delicious age I know he's He's probably super active (laughs) he's so so funny and yeah he's starting to talk and it's so fun very, very cool. But I definitely think about these things as he gets older and how to have these conversations because my parents, that, that what they did, I think was amazing. And they also taught me how and modeled for me negotiating and how to ask for things. And I think that's been a huge thing I've brought with me. That's been super positive. That's super cool. That's a big one for women to negotiate. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's pretty awesome. So I want to I want to get to marriage because um, I know that you're a wife and you know that, you know, that it does, even though we all know and the experts and the studies have shown that it can be a source of stress and money can be a source of stress in marriages. Um, we talked a little bit about the money date. Um, you know that it doesn't have to be like that. Um, 
what other, other than the money date, what other things would you, could you share with listeners who are married or in a relationship to help them navigate this topic, given that we both come from, you know, different backgrounds and upbringing around money and that we all have our layers of shame and the mistakes and, uh, you know, all the things that we associate with money. Um, How do we bridge those gaps? Yes, such a great question. I think so definitely starting with the fun part, something we mentioned, I think that's really important to reiterate. I also love these deeper money conversations with partners. So I find that a lot of us are opposites in our and how we deal with money in our relationships. So there's often a saver and there's often a spender and then we polarize each other. So the saver becomes more saving and then the spender becomes more spending and that Oh really? Yes. More so stress. it's not it's not that we take from the other but we actually become a little bit more extreme of the one that we are. Yes, and I think mm-hmm. it's because of the other. They're compensating for the other and then we keep getting more polarized. Um so if you're if you're told, oh, if the let's say a partner is like, "Oh, stop spending. I'm stressed. We need to spend less." The person will feel restricted and then that will cause them to spend more. Um not always Mm -hmm. and for different reasons. But I think instead of to get deeper, like, what is that? What is what are what do you get from saving more? Like, is it a feeling of security? Is it a fear from one of your money memories of not being able to afford something? So talking about those early, those early upbringing memories, um, what it provides for you, because if if you knew, if your partner asked, hey, can we cut down spending this month because it will give me so much security and peace of mind and I'll feel so much less stressed, that's very different than feeling like, oh, just so we can spend less for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's great. Having a non, as much as possible, a non-judgmental zone when we're in our money parties. Um, I think another one I love is having a threshold for spending at which we'll talk to our partner before we make a purchase. Oh, And that could be any number it's for the couple to decide but it might be a hundred dollars five hundred dollars an amount where if it's not a regular expense we give the other a heads up so it's not or even talk about it before it happens so it's not a surprise later right 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 and that non-judgmental attitude that you said to bring in those conversations that's hard ashley i know there's some structures that i find work really well to have that happen so if for example because we often hear oh you get married and you just combine all of your accounts but i think it's nice to have either you can combine all your accounts but have a number a month or a week that each of you get to spend kind of like judgment free. So as long as you're contributing to the goals, what you described, like, let's say you decide random number 100 a week, Mm -hmm. like you could spend it on 80 bottles of sparkling water, it doesn't matter. It's not for the other to judge as long as you stay within a number, because we often value different things. Like I'm a big experience person, a personal growth person. My husband's like, if I don't have something to show for spending that kind of money, I don't physically he wants things. And um, So to us, we value different things. Mm -hmm. So it's how you navigate that and understand that different things are important to to different people. Mm -hmm. Did you see your parents having these type of money conversations at all? Or was it like in the, you know, the typical olden days where money was taboo, we don't talk about it? (laughs) 
<laughs> but we find yeah, out. Yeah, I don't remember them having conversations about they they want like di- that different things were important to them or um, no, no, it wasn't. Other than like, wow, the Amex bill is so high this month. That's, <laughs> that's kind of like the ones I remember. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty typical. <laughs> and and ladies, this is what we're trying to avoid: cut these kind of random money conversations that are not very productive. Like, hey, honey, the Amex bill is too. Uh, it's a little high this month. <laughs> right. And I think too, it's interesting. I'm very, so it's, I've noticed with Justin and I, Justin's my husband's name, but he, for me, I'll know when we make an expense, I kind of have a pulse on what's happening through the month. So I know if our bills are going to be higher than usual, because we've made certain expenses. Mm-hmm. He he has a different way of dealing with it. He doesn't really get stressed about it until the end. And then he's like, not shocked, but more like, oh, wow. So I'll experience it as it's happening. And he kind of has a experience that it comes on later. Mm-hmm. So you just notice little the differences and what to expect with each other's money nuances. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. You work a lot with women. Is there like one overarching um, theme that comes up all the time that you have to work through that is particular to women and their relationship with money? Like, is there one thing okay. that you can pinpoint that you see this is just, you know, nuance to women in particular, or an area yeah. that they re- you feel like they really need, they consistently need help with? Honestly, I think it is a confidence thing. Um, uh, what I've found is we often, I feel like there's a stereotype that women know less. And maybe people have proven that that's the case. But I find that they actually don't know less, um, men just act more confident about it. Mm -hmm. And because they act more confident, and there's an expectation often that they'll just know things that they take action um, without knowing and that can bite them in the like that can come back at them and not be a good thing. But a lot of times they we learn by doing so just taking action is a huge advantage because you might make a mistake, but you'll learn from it and you'll you're you're in the arena doing it. So I've just found that women tend to want to understand something more before taking action, and often don't give themselves as, as much credit for what they actually actually know. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a that's, that's a good one. And how, how do we build that confidence? It's a great question. I, I really think action is a big one. Um, and knowing I think having someone just understanding that kind of confidence gap, I think is really helpful. So yeah. to just be, you know, just because someone is raising their hand doesn't mean that they actually know the answer. And even though that's how I would I wouldn't raise my hand unless I was really sure of the answer. So it's just something to get to, to understand that someone else might be 60% sure and raise their hand. It doesn't mean that they actually know more than me. Yeah, 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 100%. And, and, and also, like, I found, and you probably found the same, that there is a certain um, aura around money that's been created by, hey, our previous employers, the financial services industry, that this stuff is, you know, for the whiz kids, it's complicated. It's, uh, but really, it's not. And, And if we start reading little by little, we'll kind of demystify the whole thing and kind of, right? Yes, I I agree. And I, you know, you can get very detailed, and there's so much information out there. But I think that's part of the the trick is that that keeps us feeling and I felt like this, like I'm being kept out of this club. Yes. And by the way, it seemed like it's a boys club. (laughs) Right? Totally. Yes. So I think definitely we want to get educated. But once we have some education, we can take action and learn from it. And I very much believe that all of us have the capacity to be fiscal femmes and to be financially savvy in 
every area of our finances. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so a lot of the work that you do with your clients is on this mindset, right? Because you have a certification in coaching. So you help them through these, I guess, mental blocks or right? Yes. So there's we talked about that we're not educated around money. So there's missing education. But then once we know what we should do and want to do, we often don't. And that's I feel like that's something that I found early on. Then you mentioned it being actually pretty simple and just like food, the numbers are pretty simple. It's simple math, money in, money out, calories in, calories out. But Mm -hmm. if it were that easy, that we wouldn't have a billion dollar dieting industry. (laughs) Right, right, right. So I think a lot of it is getting in our own way, our money mindset, um, a lot of the things that happen with like yo-yo dieting and um, our food and money are very similar. And so I think how to build those habits, how to get on our own team to help take the actions that we want to take for our goals. Those are all things that and how to make it fun. Um, because just like with how I some people are very successful on a very restrictive diet, even though it's not a lot of fun. But most of us that doesn't work for we rebel against it, we end up eating a whole cake because we're not a lot of sugar. And mm-hmm. um, so finding a way that to interact with our money and have a very harmonious and happy, joyful for relationship with it is something that I think will get us the long lasting results. Yeah, tell me if you also find this with your clients, I find um, maybe for myself, maybe conversations with friends, I'm not sure. But I think there is this um, kind of idea out there that we've all subconsciously bought into, which is not a Jewish idea, which is this concept that money is evil. And you know, mm-hmm there's like rich person's guilt and but but really from a Jewish perspective um, money is actually a tool given to us by the creator to serve him in this world to do amazing things in the world so it's an entire different paradigm Um, and I think once we really work on that mind that that belief it really leads to a lot more um, I guess abundance and understanding that it's good to want to make more money it allows Mm -hmm. us to give more money and to create change and it right? Yes, I think this is a huge mindset shift that's really important. And what's hard about this is a lot of us don't and I was part of this, I was like, Oh, I don't have any negative beliefs about wealth. Right? We think we don't. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) And so I think it's really helpful to think about what do you what comes to mind when you hear rich or wealthy or millionaire or billionaire. And especially for women, there's I Honestly, I truly believe that so many of the problems in the world would be solved if women were wealthy. Yes. And and so if to even get outside of, oh, it's not just a selfish thing for me to become wealthy. It's actually going to solve so many problems because I'll inspire other women, give them permission to become wealthy. And then I can negotiate harder. If I have some savings, I can take more risks in my career. It's like a, a beautiful, virtuous cycle of what happens when women become wealthy. We're actually better investors than men. When we do invest, Mm -hmm. we invest more in our families and communities, which of course we need more of that. Um, We invest in more diverse businesses. We'll have more solutions to the problem. So I could go on and on, but I think that's a big mindset shift to realize how wonderful and important it is for us as women to become wealthy. Well, here you have it, ladies. You heard it from Ashley, the fiscal femme. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, let's do some JLP fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where I'm going to give you an open ended sentence. And these could get a little they're not related to money. So but don't be nervous. You're just going to finish them with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, perfect. All right. They're a little bit on the spiritual side. So put your 
I don't know, your whatever, your yoga mindset, I guess, whatever. <laughs> first, first one is, I'm Ashley Feinstein Gersley, and I feel most spiritual when? Ooh, I don't, I live in, like, in Hoboken, which is very city life, but I, the first thing that came to mind was nature. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I really love the beach. I'm from Florida. And there I think- you go. Me too. What can I tell you? I know. Yeah. There's, it's, it's something about once you've grown up in water, by the water, I, I don't know. You can give me anything else, but it just doesn't do it. It's it's the beach for me, too. Uh, mm. Yeah, I grew up in Puerto Rico, so not far from you. Mm. All right. My favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is? Yeah. So Eli, my son, was born with a class. <laughs> These are very long phone the blanks. I don't know if I'm... T- I'm supposed to give full stories, but he was born with a cleft lip and palate. And Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to do is just talk to and support um, families, parents who are going to have a baby with a cleft. Oh, that's beautiful. That is so, so beautiful. And it's so important. I'm sure people appreciate it so much. It was so helpful for me when I was pregnant with Eli. So I'm giving back the favor. Very, very, very cool. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Mm. Uh, Mine would be in Israel. I remember my sister was in the Maccabee games. Mm -hmm. She played and we were there and I remember just like this gorgeous sunset for a Havdalah service with the candle and it was magical with the guitar. It was just beautiful. Mm. Why did she play? She played basketball. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? Mm. Think about it like this. Now that you're an adult and you look back at, I guess, your upbringing and your Jewish home or whatever, and now you're building your own, um, you know, maybe you... Th- think back and wonder if there's something that could have been different that you had the now you know as an adult or now you have taken on or you've learned or you know and you kind yeah. of wish you had before well you know what's funny is I grew up originally in Miami and then we moved to Naples and I was the only um the only Jewish kid in my class in Naples yes for I sure not in Miami <laughs> no <laughs> But growing up, I was like the only one. And so my mom would always come in and do the holidays and teach everyone. And I didn't realize until I moved, went to college, like what a sense of community there is and how just how special it is to be able to interact with more Jews. Yeah. Where did you go to college? I went to Penn in Philly. Oh, okay. So a super Jewish school. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of us here. <laughs> so my husband says back in the day, he said, I didn't want to go to Penn because there were too many Jews. So I chose Dartmouth. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I also went to a super Jewish school. I went to Tufts. Um, mm-hmm. When I give tzedakah, I like charity. I like to give to. So big soft spot for animals, but then now also the the um, cleft community or oh, charities. Very, sure. very cool. And finally, I'm Ashley Feinstein Gersley. And today I'm most grateful for hmm. feeling very grateful for having this conversation and helping more women get wealthy. Yay. Amen to that. That's so beautiful. Ashley, I'm so happy that you got into this line of work and you just let left corporate. Good for you. <laughs> yes. And likewise, so we can have this amazing conversation. <laughs> Thank you for helping all the people out there. Everybody you can find Find Ashley at thefiscalfem.com and your book is coming out pretty soon, right? Yes, definitely. It's available for pre-order, The 30-Day Money Cleanse. Awesome. The 30-Day Money Cleanse. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. 
Thanks to Ashley Feinstein-Gersley for stopping by. Her website is thefiscalfem.com. There you can learn more about Ashley's work as well as pre-order her new book, The 30-Day Money Cleanse. You can follow her on Instagram at thefiscalfem. I want to wish you all a great vacation, I guess. A happy 2019. I mean, we're all about happiness here. So, you know, whatever, whatever's going on and now it happens to be the end of the year, it should be happy and filled with blessings. I am sure that all of you are kind of off from work. Kids are off from school. So whatever you're up to, if you're traveling, I hope everybody's safe and I'll see you here next time. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.